Hey, everybody, welcome to the For the Love podcast with me, Jen Hatmaker. You guys, the Transitions series has brought us so many amazing guests and stories. I'm just buzzing. And today, whoa, certainly no exception. This week, we will take a deep dive into what it's like to go through immense personal and even physical change and how that internal and external change can then radiate into our communities and change the world for the better. Because we will learn how to become more accepting, more inclusive and progressive with Kansas State Representative Stephanie Byers. Hey everybody, Jen Hatmaker here. Welcome to the For the Love podcast. Got a big one today, guys. We're in a series right now called For the Love of Transitions. We just kind of felt like as a team, collectively, we are all working through transitions right now. A lot of us have transitioned inside of our work, our relationships. This is just a ubiquitous space that we are all in, whether we are transitioning through something that we chose or didn't choose. Either way, a bunch of us are in this kind of in-between. We're from this to this. We're moving from here to here. And some of those transitions are chosen. We make a decision that I am not going to live in this place anymore, but here in whatever way we choose, but it could be, there are those of you listening for whom accepting truthfully, like every part of who you are so that you can live authentically is a part of your transition, embracing the way you were formed, the way you are wired, the way that you flourish, who you are deeply in your soul. So in order to walk on this earth as you were really meant to do, that is harder than it sounds because we have been handed a narrative across many spectrums between gender and sexuality and work environments and glass ceilings and expectations and religious constraints and geographical norms. I mean, pick it. And we've been handed a way to be depending on what body you were born in, where you were born, all of it. And so it is actually way harder than it sounds to live 100% truthfully in our own lives in this world. And so I know this, I've done this work. I, you know, if you've been around me at all, I have absolutely chosen authenticity, whatever the cost may be. And, and don't throw me a parade. I lived for years not choosing that because I was afraid to lose all that I knew I was going to lose in order to embrace my actual convictions, my beliefs, my values, who I like actually really am, not who my subculture wanted me to be, expected to me to be. So I know about this. I know about the cost. I know about the fear, but I'll tell you what I also know. I know about the freedom now. The freedom is worth it all. The freedom of authenticity, the freedom of being one version of yourself all the time. The real one where you're not having to pick different versions of yourself, depending on who you're talking to. You cannot put a price on it. You cannot. In my estimation, it's the only way to live. Our guest today, we're lucky, man. She knows what it's like to choose authenticity whatever the cost, so that she lives her most meaningful life of possibility. I am honored today to welcome Stephanie Byers to the show, 
Kansas State representative, and the first openly trans person to be a part of the Kansas legislature. Very big deal. You've obviously seen her in the news. Her journey inspired an untold amount of people, and it all started for her for knowing who she actually was. Stephanie was elected in November of 2020. Okay, so she's kind of fresh. She is the recipient of the Glisten Kansas State Educator of the Year and the Glisten National Educator of the Year. She was a career educator in music. She'll talk about that. And so she retired after 29 years of teaching for the Wichita Public Schools, where she was the award-winning director of bands and orchestras at Wichita North High School. She's an Oklahoman by birth, a member of the Chickasaw Nation, and she's lived in Wichita for three decades. So that is her adult home. And she has worked tirelessly to create and operate community groups that are based in inclusivity and dignity and rights and understanding of diverse communities. I mean, she's really impressive. So buckle up. She talks in this interview about everything, her personal transition which interestingly, she says really wasn't her transition at all. That was just simply her finally telling the truth. It's everybody else, right? (laughs) That has to transition around her. What she's learned, what she's leading toward, it's a powerful conversation. She's a powerful person and I'm really proud of her and I'm proud to know her and I'm proud to meet her. And these are the pioneers in our world that we'll just be talking about for a really long time. The firsts, right? The ones who went first first of their kind, first in their office, first in their state. And Stephanie is one of those. So we're very lucky to have her today. You're going to love this conversation. Whatever your experience with the trans community, I'm glad you're here today. You will learn something today. You will just listen and learn today. Listen and learn. Listen to Stephanie's perspective, her experience. She brings so much to the table here around numerous intersections of how to be in the world. And so proud of her, excited to know her. Can't wait to meet her in person. You're going to love her now. So I'm so pleased to share my conversation with the wise and smart and courageous Stephanie Byers. Stephanie, welcome to the For the Love podcast. I'm just really honored and pleased to have you here and to have you on the show and to meet you. I've just respected and admire you for some time. Thank you. Your work is very near and dear to me. It's so wonderful to watch from afar. I'm now in Texas, so I don't know what that says about me, but obviously I have filled my listeners in a little bit about you already and kind of your story arc and and who you are. But I wonder if we kind of, before we really kind of get into some of my questions for you, if you could just tell my listening community a little bit more about who you are and where you came from and and kind of the the plot points along the way to get to where you are today. Well, let's start with the fact that I'm 58 years old. So that means that I was a kid in the 60s, an adolescent in the 70s, an adult in the 80s, and I became a parent in the 90s. Originally, I'm from Oklahoma. My family had been there before statehood, which is easy to say when you're Native American, but been there for a long time. I'm the oldest of five kids. I had four younger brothers, and along the way, also had a foster brother. So I have you know, big family. My mom and dad are still together, still alive, and very supportive and loving family. Went to a conservative Christian college. I went to Oklahoma Christian University. Now it was Oklahoma Christian College back then. I went to Oklahoma Baptist University. There we go. 
They're in Shawnee. Uh-huh, that's right. Yeah, so, you know, I, I grew up in that type of conservative Christian environment, but with parents who were politically liberal. And of course, at the time, like most parents, they were socially conservative. And probably when I was in kindergarten, I began to understand that my gender that was different than what everybody thought I was. But, you know, I didn't really have words to put to it, you know, because, you know, it's the 60s and I'm, I'm a little kid. And that language, our language has, has evolved since that time for adults, let alone how do you express that when you're a child? And so I grew up that way. When I was 10 years old, I met the girl then, now the woman who is now my wife. Wow. We, we met in Sunday school of all places. And she was also the first person I ever came out to. And Lori has been a tremendous supporter. And, you know, we graduated high school and went our separate ways and had different lives. And they came back together a little bit later on. After graduating from college, I worked as a band, band and choir director at a small private high school in Oklahoma City. Went from that to a rural school in northeastern Colorado, where I taught kindergarten through 12th grade, everything music, whether it was band or choir, general music, to being an assistant director at a, a huge suburban high school in Arizona. And then in 1990, I was offered a job in Wichita, Kansas. So came here and this is where I've been ever since. Along the way, I got married. I have two sons. My oldest was born in 1989 my youngest in 92. They both went to the high school that I taught at. In 1991, I became the band and orchestra director at Wichita North High School, which is the largest or second largest, depends on which week it is, public high school in the state of Kansas. And I did that until I retired in 2019. And so been a, a, a long and as they say, strange trip, but you know, here I am. You know, I did all these things and established myself as who people thought that I was as a, as a quality musician, as a quality teacher, as a member of the community, as a strong parent, and did all this carrying this secret about my gender until I was 51. Wow. And in 2014, I began living my life authentically. Mm. Oh, I have a million questions. That must have been really lonely for you for a long time. To care. I mean, to know in kindergarten and go all the way to 51, I can only imagine the, the, just the burden of loneliness inside of that. How did you begin to find the courage to transition and be who you authentically always were? You know, at 51, you've got a real established life. You've got real established relationships. You have established yourself as a certain person in the world. I just, the amount of courage that that must have taken is hard to kind of fathom. Was that a long runway for you? Or once you made that choice, did that shrink up, that timeline shrink up for you? I think there are things that that we need to kind of maybe bring up as we get into this discussion. The first thing I want to say is that, you know, as a person who is transgender, I speak for myself. I don't speak for the whole community. Yep, thanks for saying because that. Because our lives are all very different and there may be commonalities between us, but, it, you know, just to, to understand that this is my story, not necessarily a story for everyone. Totally. But one of the things about it is that that existence of keeping who you are authentically hidden, buried behind while you're trying to exist on the outside creates kind of like this wall inside your your soul so that who you are is behind the wall. And on the outside of the wall is this avatar that has elements of who you are and they interact with the community and and that's, that's who everybody sees. It's kind of like your ambassador. You can only be that way, at least for me, for so long before you begin to go, I can't do this anymore. 
I ended up feeling broken, you know, most of the time, desperately doing everything I could on the outside of that wall to not appear to be broken, to be, you know, everything that I needed to be for everybody around me, but lacking that connection. And that sense of brokenness takes its toll. It creates this emotional emotional exhaustion and, you know, emotional exhaustion that begins to lead towards depression and, and depression tends to lead, you know, oftentimes towards suicide. And at those wrestling points, and I wrestled for a very, very long time with these things, a friend told me, who's also transgender, that you begin to realize you're going to die. And either you're going to die this slow, painful death of the soul, as she put it, where that person behind the wall, that authentic person begins to just decay while the avatar lives on. And you lose that connection with who you really are. And that's a very painful process. Or you may choose to take the quicker route and take your own life. Gosh. Or there's the third choice. And the third choice is to begin to live authentically and to move into that interaction. And we call that transition. But honestly, for a trans person, they're just bringing who they are out. It's not really a transition. It's just telling everybody. Right. But everybody else around you is the one who transitions. They begin to learn somebody new. They begin to interact with somebody with a different thing. And that point where you reach that decision to choose as to which way you're going to, you know, finish the rest of your life. And, And we all know we're going to die at some point in time, but when you begin to live authentically, you're living oftentimes with joy. You're living with the truth. You're living with realities of who you are and getting to know everybody in a new context. And so for me, that point started well before my 51st birthday, but it was a tough choice to make because there's so many factors involved and, and some of them beyond control. The emotional exhaustion kept heaping up and I kept trying to put it off because I kept thinking, I'll retire. I don't want to do anything to mess up my retirement because then what happens? Trans people oftentimes have a hard time finding work, yeah. you know, and I had a job and it's like, you know, at the time I'm doing this too, just before I made this, this leap into my authenticity, the governor of Kansas at the time and our, our legislature did away with due process for educators. And here I was a career educator and I thought, now what am I going to do? Wow. I didn't you know, know they that. They fired me for mm. this. Yeah, that happened in 2012. And so it's like, they can fire me for this. The school district put their own spin on things. They put it into their contract with all teachers that they would provide due process. So I was grateful for that. You know, the Obama administration was in charge. They were writing guidances on how to deal with transgender students. And a lot of it didn't say anything about trans adults. So it was doing some investigation with the district to find out what they would do. Because there was no specific policy in place. Sure. You know, it, it, it wasn't that it was something new. But it was something that hadn't really ever been explicitly put out there. Yeah, yeah. All the all the points of contact seemed to kind of come together, and it just made sense that it was time. And so, actually, the school district contacted me. We had had kind of an exchange going back and forth emails about the hypothetical if a, if a teacher was to transition. And then when I finally said, "Hey, I'm the I'm the hypothetical teacher." And I'm really wrestling with this. Then one of the one of the members of the school board or the the superintendency area, our equal equal employment opportunities officer, contacted me and said, "How can we make this happen?" Wow! And wow. so, so when they reached out to me in the beginning of summer 2014, I kind of first of all, it's something I had to do. It's something I needed to do. But then I also began to realize there were a lot of things that needed to be cleaned up before I made that that final leap. 
I had to talk to my sons. My sons right. didn't know. Right. Wow. You know, Gosh. my, my now ex-wife, she was, was visiting with my parents and she told them what was going on. And I got this wonderful heartfelt later letter from my mom, you know, that started off with, this is the hardest thing that I've ever had to write, but I just want to let you know that we love you, your dad and I love you no matter what. And so all those doors opened at one time and it was, it, it, it was time. Mm. And so we made the choice to go through that door. Mm, that must've been overwhelming to manage kind of in such rapid succession. I'm so pleased to hear about your parents' reaction to you, you know, which is so not always the case. And I'm, I'm so glad to know that you were loved well and that your, your colleagues, your, your workplace, even were, I'm, I'm just, that's a wonderful report on your story. So <laughs> it's just crazy because as if that just wasn't enough to, manage and move through and, and shoulder and, and work through in your relationships, you just thought, well, you know what? Now seems like a good time to run for office. <laughs> I'm bored. I, I need some place for this emotional energy that I just freed up to go. And so you made huge waves in the political sphere when you became the first openly trans member of the Kansas legislature. It's just profound. I would love to hear you talk about that decision. First of all, having been a career educator, what moved you into politics, complete departure. And then I would love to hear you talk a little bit about your campaign. And I'm curious if you, I'm sure that you did, had to address misconceptions or ignorance or even hate from your potential constituents. Kansas is notoriously a, a conservative state. How did you find that process? Because you were still kind of fresh and new, generally speaking, in your authenticity. But that was still kind of in its in its early stages. And so you must be made of sturdy stock is all I can guess. <laughs> <laughs> you must be. I suppose for some people, there's like a defining moment where they go, this is it. This is this is where I made that decision. This is the, you know, the catalyst or the impetus. Mine kind of spools up over time. Partly, you know, being a public school educator meant, especially here in Kansas, watching education budgets get frozen repeatedly, sometimes from bad decisions, but uh, often, you know, well, a horrible decision during the Brownback administration here where they cut taxes so badly the state was on the edge of bankruptcy. And education, of course, is one of those big monetary things for a state. And so it receives horrible cuts. And those cuts meant that textbooks weren't getting replaced, that the cleanliness of buildings was changing because of the amount of time we could spend with custodial staff and teacher salaries being frozen. You know, I went a number of years without even a cost of living increase in my, my pay. But also being this high school band and orchestra director, there's not a lot of time outside of the class to go and say something to people in power who make those decisions. And so it's just this frustrating feeling that you're at the mercy of somebody else. And so that kind of played in the back of my mind. After I began living authentically, probably maybe a year later, I found myself on the steps of the Kansas State Capitol speaking at a rally where we were talking about bathroom bills and the impact that it would have on the trans community. And so this advocacy that I'd had before, which really was was geared in, you know, towards the arts and, and in music in particular, you know, from the stage, talking to the parents about supporting the arts and keeping involved in education, the importance. I shifted that over to advocating for people like me. And 
and just the ridiculous nature of being told you can't go to the bathroom somewhere because you know there are elements of your body that don't match your gender identity. I started speaking on those things, you know, before that time. And as life just kind of progressed along, my principal called me up one day in January of 2018 and just said, Hey, I want to let you know that I've nominated you for some national award. And I said, what national award? He goes, have you ever heard of this group called Glisten, G-L-S-E-N? And of course, by that time, I've been working with Glisten for a couple of years here in Kansas. And I said, yeah, sure. And he goes, well, here's the award that I've nominated you for. Here's what I told you. So if you hear anything about this, let me know. And that was it. And then a couple, couple of months later, Glisten contacted me and said, we'd like for you to write something. We, we need about a page from you because you've been nominated and, and we're asking all 150 some odd candidates that have been nominated if they would write something for us, then we'll do an interview process. And, and next thing I knew uh, in 2018, I had been selected as the Glisten National Educator of the Year, which put me out on a bigger platform. And there's a responsibility when, at least for me, transitioning on the job did not mean that I went, you know, quietly. It didn't mean that it was invisible. It was just something, it was a very public thing. And as you you can imagine, being from the Wichita area, Wichita North High School, about a third of the community of Wichita went to that high school at some point in time. And they're still very well connected. If they're here in town, they pay attention. And so it was not this this anonymous activity that I did. It was on a very public platform. And I felt like I couldn't remain quiet. I had to speak, had to say some things. And so, you know, we went through all of these things. And then in 2019, when I retired, it was an opportunity for me to do some personal stuff. I had promised that I would spend six months not just saying no to everything, <laughs> you know, get my feet underneath me for retirement. I taught for 32 years. Gosh, you deserve time. six months. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's fair. You know, so, so we were kind of approached it that way. In the process of doing that, I became the communications director for Wichita Pride. So... We were having our Pride Festival of 2019, and in Wichita, we do it in September because it's Kansas, and June's usually kind of miserable as far as weather goes. Sure. So September's much more pleasant. One of my jobs, besides being the spokesperson for Wichita Pride then, I have a convertible. I was driving our then-Lieutenant Governor, Lynn Rogers, and his wife, Chris, in our Pride Parade. I have known Lynn and Chris forever, as all three of their kids were part of my band program. Sure. So before he was Lieutenant Governor, before he was Senator Rogers, before he was School Board President Rogers, I knew him. So that was a relationship we'd had for a while. While we're setting up for this parade, my parents were here helping out. My mom's walking through the crowd, staging for the parade, handing him a bottle of water and just saying, you know, hi, I'm Steph's mom and hand him a bottle of water and walk, walk on. She came to where Lynn and Chris and I were talking before the parade started, introduced herself. And I said, mom what exactly are you doing? And she told me, and I said, you realize that there's like 150 people here who know me, but there's a thousand people <laughs> right. around here. So I, they're, they're probably just wondering who Your is Steph, Steph? <laughs> you know, that's um, cute. And, and mom stops and she looks at me as well. I'm campaigning for you. I said, but I'm, but I'm not running for anything. And she goes, well, you never know. And then she went on her merry way to, to go hand bottles of water out to other people. When the parade started, having done, I don't know, 150 parades probably as a high school band director, they're very involved. People think it's just, you know, walk down the street and play some songs. No, you're running through, making sure your kids' shoes are all tied, making sure no one's overheating. You know, you're making sure that some kid's not trying to get into the middle of the band to grab some candy that got left, you know, trying to avoid and keep everybody safe. 
when you drive a car in a parade, all you do is don't run over the person in front of you. Yeah, it's pretty standard. So while we're driving down the street, we're talking in the car and we're talking about what my mom had said. And next thing I know, the Rogers are beginning to brainstorm different offices they thought that I would be a good fit for. Like in the car. This is what in the car during the parade. Uh Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like, oh, you know, maybe maybe your school board elections are coming up. There'll be an open seat on the school board. You know, maybe the county commission will have a seat for you. Uh, perhaps we just start small small and be a precinct chairperson. You know, it's it's this kind of a conversation. And so we finished the parade. We had our festival. At the end of the day, the, the pride board is all meeting together to to debrief, decompress the day. And I'm talking about this conversation that had happened with the Rogers. And the president of our pride board said, you know, you live in House District 86. I know because the same district I live in. And the representative for District 86, Jim Ward, has announced that he's resigning that seat as he's running for state Senate. So that seat is open. So this is the end of September of 2019. He said, so, you know, if you're interested in running, talk to us and we'll see what we can do about how we need to approach this and what we can do. And, and he's kind of a, a political operative. So he has some ideas of what this is going on. I said, well, I'll think about it. The next day, this is the last Sunday in September. The next day, the, that Monday, I get a phone call from Glisten that says, hey, there's going to be this big rally in Washington, D.C., Outside on the sidewalk, outside of the U.S. Supreme Court building, they're hearing the oral arguments on Bostock versus Clayton County. And we'd like for you to come up here and be the voice for Glisten, for Glisten to represent educators and, and students who are, you know, a part of the LGBTQ community. Bostock versus Clayton County it was, you know, deciding whether or not the 1964 Civil Rights Act, Title VII, if on the basis of sex does include gender identity and sexual orientation. And so they said, we'd love for you to come up here. So a week later, it's October the 8th. They flew me to D.C. and I'm standing out on the sidewalk. I followed the the first openly gay member of the NBA, you know, which, you know, I'm looking up to somebody who's a foot and a half taller than I am, you know, kind of thing. I'm looking around the crowd and it's it's a who's who of of the LGBTQ community on the national political spectrum. I mean, supermodel Gina Riccaro standing in the crowd kind of thing, you know? And so I walk up to the mic and, and, I, and I make my speech and, you know, I'm standing there with the U.S. Supreme Court building in the background behind me and ahead of me, the dome of the U.S. Capitol building. It's a big deal. To the side of me is this, is this huge opposition rally going on. And across the street are the protesters from Westboro Baptist Church. And I'm like, I'm being handed an opportunity to do something more than just make a speech that I can actually maybe help craft policy. I can actually maybe help make law. And I came home and I said, all right, let's see, what do we need to do? How do we go about doing this? And that's where it started. You had about five minutes to pull it together. By that point, I mean, did you have an immediate team who kind of rallied around you to get you ready? Our budgets are so different, you know, in everything we're dealing with this, but it's a small team. And it really was basically me, my wife, my daughter-in-law, my son sometimes would help out, you know, and some friends. And you just bootstrapped it. Just bootstrapped it together. But, you know, I live... I live in a district that for the last 30 years has voted Democratic. And so running as a Democrat, the district was helpful. Okay. Yeah. Our demographics are are really the a little more than a third of the district are unaffiliated voters. 
third are Democrats and a little less than a third are Republicans. But at the same time, being a trans woman running for office, we had no idea what to expect. I, how could you? It's unprecedented. Exactly. And, and so, you know, the first thing we did was, you know, what do we do with my status being transgender? Is that something that we put out there as a major thing? Is this something that it's matter of fact, or is it something that, that, you know, for a lot of people, I, people will notice my voice, but they don't, they don't notice much else about me. They just take me for who I am. And they don't think about the fact that I'm transgender. So do we just let it be buried? And I talked to my consultant and I said, well, you know, Google my name and what comes up. The first thing that comes up is transgender teacher wins national award. I said, okay, so that's, it's there. Yeah, it's there. So we're not going to bury this. This is a known quantity. But but we didn't make it the main issue. I mean, we made it the main the main issues we voted that we're working on are the main issues for for every Democrat in Kansas, expanding Medicaid, you know, uh, fully funding public education. And as the pandemic wore on, we began to realize that our unemployment's really a mess here. We need to figure out ways to shore up that safety net for everybody. You know, and so this became the issues that we dealt with. Early in the process of running for office, my opponent was interviewed by a news organization that interviewed me first. And she was asked directly, are you going to make an issue of Stephanie's status as a transgender woman? And her response was, no, we're going to focus on taxes. We're going to focus on education. We're going to focus. And she said those things and then she remained true to her work. Wow. Wow. And the, the rest of the party, you know, because oftentimes we're running for office, what the candidate does is one thing, but the party may do something. But the rest of the party kept, did the same thing. They kept that out of it. Wow. And, you know, wow, I'm surprised to hear that. I really am. So the biggest, the biggest things that I ran into in campaigning, besides campaigning in the pandemic means you're not going out and knocking a lot of doors. You know, you're, you're not doing a lot of, you're doing a lot of things very differently. But even when I would go out and, you know, hang literature on doorknobs, I would talk to somebody. And usually when people said, said something to me that was a negative, it was that I was a Democrat. That was the only thing that was really a negative thing. I love the things you say, but you're a Democrat. So, you know, and that was it. And so it was very surprising. Of course, it was kind of the same, the same thing that happened when I, when I started teaching and living authentically, I figured there would be, you know, stormtroopers at at the school board meetings over these things. It was nothing. Uh, not until I won the national award when when I got the the Glisten Educator of the Year award, then I did have Westboro Baptist show up at Wichita North High School in protest. Wow! But they did it on the sidewalk while we were inside in a pep assembly, and it was the last pep assembly of the school year that year in 2018. And the kids chose the theme of rainbows, and so you walked into the gym and 2,200 kids with rainbow flags and trans flags and little rainbow tattoos on their faces mm, and, and you know signs up to say you love who you love and i mean ah, and four incredible. people that had unloaded out of a tired old minivan with signs that said really nasty things standing out on the sidewalk who were there for 30 minutes and then right at 30 minutes got up and left oh i love that story i'm so happy that you told that i i have five kids and they're between 15 and 23 so that's my age group and they're just they're special they're different like I'm I'm so hopeful for for trans kids and, and all kids in the LGBTQ community. You and your generation did a lot of trailblazing that was 
unprecedented, that it didn't have language, didn't have context, didn't have it in sort of the cultural milieu. And now these kids have us, we have a long way to go, but there is a sense of safety and belonging and authenticity that their age group values. And it's exciting to watch. It's really wonderful. And they're standing on your shoulders, of course, because you have gone into places as you are authentically where that's not your only thing. It's not just that you're trans. It's that you're a legislator, legislator making important changes in your state. You get to just live a normal life. And it's, I've got a, a gay kid. I've got one on the spectrum. And I'm just so grateful for the grownups in the world who went ahead and lived true, lived true no matter what the community was saying at the time or the culture, what we understood or didn't understand. Great stories are powerful, right? That's why I love this podcast. We get to hear people from all walks of life talking about their obstacles and their wins. And you know another place we get to do that? The Jen Hatmaker Book Club. And I want you to join today because if you love this podcast, you're going to love the book club. Here's the deal. Each month, we'll dive into a fantastic book and we read all kinds of stuff, fiction, memoirs, self-help, all of it. Every single book is something I have read and loved. And I just know you will too. After you sign up every month, I'll send you a box with the book and other fun treats. Plus, your membership comes with a whole slew of perks. You get resources like reading plans, weekly summaries, discussion questions. Plus, you get tons of exclusive community stuff. You get access to our private Facebook group where you can connect with me and all your fellow members. And there's a monthly Facebook live chat session with me and sometimes some surprise guests. Sometimes I pop into the Zoom meetings of our local chapters, which is always delightful. Plus, we do some cool stuff with the book's author. They curate these awesome Spotify playlists just for us. Plus, I record a podcast with the author or another special guest, and we talk about the book. It is an incredible way to cap it all off. And you know what makes a book club great? The people. This community is the kindest, most supportive group you can possibly imagine. They have definitely been saving my life in 2020. Join us. So sign up today at jenhatmakerbookclub.com. We are here waiting to welcome you into the sisterhood with open arms. So join us at jenhatmakerbookclub.com today. Okay, back to our show. We are fully into summer. School is out. The summer solstice has come and passed. The heat wave is here to stay. But as I was thinking about these summery things, I was also thinking about seasons. Just like we have summer and fall and winter and spring, so also do our lives go through seasons. Sometimes things feel sunny and carefree or delightfully like crisp and, and chill, or we just need to go into hibernation so that we can thaw to emerge stronger. So no matter what season we are in, one thing I've noticed is that I am at my own best when I stay committed to my regular therapy sessions. BetterHelp is for any and all seasons. That's because it's professional therapy from the comfort and convenience of your own space. They're licensed 
professional counselors have a super broad range of expertise, specializing in everything from depression, stress, anxiety to trauma, family relationships, LGBTQ issues, grief, you name it. Plus, you can start communicating with a therapist in under 24 hours and you'll get thoughtful and timely responses and you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. BetterHelp is also committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. That's why they make it easy and free to change counselors if you need to. So as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash for the love. Join more than 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash for the love. Now that you're in a position literally to make positive change, you are a policymaker now. You did exactly what you set out to do. What moves do you want to make? What what are you interested in? What are you eyeballing in terms of creating a safer Kansas for the people that live there, maybe particularly inside the LGBTQ community? You know, you, we've got legislation right now going, you know, on the floor in Texas. It's just so dangerous for our trans kids and our trans community. And I mean, we're still right here in the hot in the hot button of, you know, making the, our legislation is going to go this way or this way. What do you think? Well, I think we're seeing a knee-jerk reaction. I mean, I hope that I am right on this, that we're seeing this last gasp of breath from discrimination, you know, at least with the LGBTQ community. We've got a long ways to go with, with racism. We've got a long ways to go with ableisms. And, and we can start adding all these isms that we still wrestle with as, as a nation. But we're becoming a nation that's more accepting. And because we're seeing that, that's why that's why we see more. What seems like that there are more trans kids now than there used to be. It's probably not more. Right. It's just that there's there's they feel safer to be able to express who they are. Yeah. So you know when you think about, for me in, at thirteen in nineteen seventy six, the only trans icon at that time is Renee Richards, and you know if you were trans you, and you were outspoken about it, you were risking your very life just being, you know, and that, that hasn't changed in some places in other places it has. But I, I think that, that we're seeing with this legislation, we're seeing these groups that have lost control and they're using us as ways to gain control. The frustrating thing about a lot of it is this stuff is focus grouped. It's not like someone just said, Oh, this is a good idea. So the anti-trans kids and sports bill in Texas is almost word for word the same as the one in Mississippi and the one in Arkansas and the one that we saw here. And it's done by a national group and it's put out there as a wedge issue. It's been intentionally crafted. They tested it when I guess it was the, in the Tennessee governor's race to see how it would play. And it fell very favorably, although their candidate didn't win uh, the governorship, but the messaging polled well. And, you know, what sucks about this is we're talking about real people here and they're talking about numbers and percentages. And, you know, I, I'd love to see this, this end. I would, I would love to see as, as a member of this legislature that we make progress in those ways. You know, it's, it's been interesting because like you had said earlier, we saw this bill come through the Kansas house, went through the Senate in, and actually it went through the Senate first and then came back over into the house. 
because we managed to to keep it from coming into any committees on the House side of things. On the Senate side, it got it got approved, then it then it got added into a, a bill that had been stripped out that they switched the contents of that number. You know, it's just one of those processes of legislation, and it came to the House side. But after it was voted on, people that voted for it came to me and apologized. I was going to ask you, know? you this. Mm. Wow. So, so there's a, there's a change of heart, but not a change of backbone. Mm, you know, yeah, it's, good. it's, it's well, still, good. this is what my party says I have to do. I mean, we know people that were so upset about possibly being forced into having to vote for this, that received permission to leave the house and be someplace else. So when it came to the vote, they didn't have to vote for it or against it. They could just be a non-vote. And this is because they're risking their funding, they're risking their good standing inside their party, all this? All this, exactly. But, you know, the fact is that they do know that what they're doing is going against the grain of history. So hopefully they'll be more willing to speak out. I mean, I I had one member of a Republican Party come and talk with me in the hallway after I had given testimony against the bill when it was in committee and said, you know, you need to know that that this is tearing our party apart. Wow. That there are a bunch of us that disagree with this. That's interesting. But we're younger and we don't have the power. And, you know, I'm like, you need to stand up. You, you need, if you don't take a stand, you're never going to gain that power. Hmm. You know, and so hopefully we, we can see those changes take place, you know, and we know that, that the law is not perfect by any means and, and constantly having to be revised to make sure we're doing this. I mean, here in Kansas, the main groups that contract with the state to provide for adoption services. They can exclude LGBT couples because of deeply held religious beliefs, but they're operating on behalf of the state, not on behalf of a church. And so is that fair? Is that right? Kansas has it written in their state constitution that marriage can only be between a, be between a man and a woman. That's the constitution here. And we know that the Supreme Court Obergefell decision overturned that. But that's a Supreme Court decision that can then be reversed when the right case comes up. And we see the other side playing this this long, drawn-out chess game to get these laws put back in front of the U.S. Supreme Court to reverse those decisions. So Bolstuk versus Clayton County, where it does allow that definition of on the basis of sex to include gender identity and sexual orientation. That's going to be challenged. These these laws that we see that are going to court. So when the ACLU is suing the state of Arkansas over the decisions they've made, which is the right thing to do, the other side gets the right to appeal. And so part of this tech, this this chess game is to get that put back up to the U.S. Supreme Court so that those decisions that they they don't like could be overturned. You know, and so it's it's just trying to make sure that we do what we can to make everybody feel safe. You know, and to make sure that that we progress, that that we extend rights to people, not take rights away from people. This is a lot of energy to put toward anti-trans legislation. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of money. It takes up a lot of time. Why? (laughs) Why? When we have so many other issues that matter to all Americans, 
when we've got all this education to work through, when we have healthcare to work through, when we have legit unemployment, we ha- there's so many very real salient things for our legislation to put their energy toward. Why is it that this issue continues to have an outsized amount of momentum and, and energy which affects such a very small amount of the constituency in our country. I just, I guess I'm still baffled. Is it just simply because it plays well with voters? Is that the deal? What is the deal here? Especially when I hear you say you have Republican colleagues come to you privately and say, we're not all in here. You know, I believe you. I believe that that's true. So I just, I feel, I think I feel bewildered that this continues to be such a hot button that they'll just press and press when it causes such destruction for such a small amount of people. Well, I mean, you know, as you say, it's, it's such destruction for a small amount of people. I mean, as a part of that community, this is a tremendous thing. It's tremendous. I don't know. I mean, I, I am not a conservative politician. I have really no clue what their mindset is on these things other than to think like they're just this, that they just don't have anything else to work with. We saw here in Kansas during the primaries, three individuals running for the Republican nomination for U.S. Senate from Kansas, and all three of them made trans kids and athletics an issue. And, you know, I was quoted in a national paper about they don't have anything else to talk about. So they're going to pick on trans kids because they can't they can't figure out any other platform that they need to bring up that can actually make a difference. Mm. Well, and it it presents them an opportunity to claim some sort of invented moral high ground, which plays well. Th- that plays well with their voters, this sense of moral outrage, which is really manufactured, as you said. I'm so interested right now in elevating and celebrating good things. So community, I'd like to introduce you to Able. If you're not familiar with Able, they are an ethical fashion brand that employs and empowers women as a solution to end poverty. (laughs) Love. They're deeply devoted also to quality, both in the products they make and in the quality of life they aim to provide. So they invest in, train, and educate women so they can earn a living, break the cycle of poverty, and thrive. And would you believe it all started with scarves for them in Ethiopia? They met women coming out of the commercial sex industry who asked for help finding jobs. So they trained them to make scarves. And after selling over 4,000 of them in two months, They knew they were onto something. And now Abel has grown from hand-woven scarves to a whole lifestyle brand with leather bags and clothes, shoes, jewelry, and more. I have so much of their stuff that I wear on constant rotation. I cannot say enough good things about Abel. Truly, come check them out for the cause and their incredible business practices and stay for the fashion. You can get 20% off site-wide with my code 20GIN at livefashionable.com. So that's 20GIN at livefashionable.com. I do a lot of work around the just LGBTQ dignity and rights too. And my experience in the community is that trans folks are the least understood 
of the letters, of all the letters. It's the most misunderstood. Obviously, they receive an outsized portion of violence and discrimination, hate crimes. Especially trans folks of color. Oh, absolutely. At that trans, intersection. Trans women of color. Yep. Yes. Yep. That's the most dangerous category to be in. And so I wonder what you would just tell my listeners here as we sign off. Obviously, I, I do appreciate you saying you're not a spokesman for all trans people. No one is. No one is. But from your perspective, from your experience, how would you talk to us about becoming more understanding, more compassionate, more inclusive, more accepting and kind-hearted and generous toward trans kids, trans adults? Well, uh, you know, first thing is, is quit struggling to understand, just be kind. Oh, great. I love that. You know, I mean, that's, that's the bottom line to it. And trans people struggle to understand why we are the way we are. As science spends more time studying trans folks and the differences, we have a better understanding of possibilities. But we're convinced that this sense of gender is immutable, that it's completely connected with biology no matter what. And yet science is telling us, you know, gender is actually more broad-based than sex. And it's something that we need to consider. And even now we realize that sex is not as confined as we thought it is, that there are more variations on those, those, those physical attributes that, that create that sex in us. And I think that as an educator, this is one of the ways we understand this a lot. We understand that the math that we learn in school is not all there is. Hmm. Right. And we see, God, you know, as, so true. As, as, somebody, as somebody who managed to make it through Algebra 2, and then I see people who are doing trig and they're doing these, these advanced, you know, math. And, and I'm just like, wow, that's incredible. But for some reason, we think high school biology is the end all. And we don't understand that, that it, that's just the beginning. That was just designed. And so we need to get to, get to that, that broader understanding that, that it's an open door, that there's more knowledge out there. And so that we don't need to get hung up on XX and XY being the only chromosome because, you know, we're finding out that sex is not even necessarily xx and xy anymore that there are more there were more things with it and the more we understand dna the more we under unravel those those type of things we began to understand that and so being transgender it just is who we are and i don't know i did tell the the 125 members of the kansas house on the floor i said i have no idea what it means to be cisgender you know that my gender identity and my biological sex the sex assigned to me at birth those have never aligned in my life. I don't know what that feels like. And so I can understand why you might have a hard time understanding what it's like to, for someone to be transgender, because that's outside the realm of thinking for you. Yeah. Hmm. And, you know, but, but if we just focus on, on treating each other with kindness, totally. you know, take people with who, at who they are. That's good. Because you know? the irony to me of beginning to live my life authentically and the first thing that happened is people that have known me for a long time accused me of lying about who I am. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And it's like, no, technically I was lying before, right. you exactly. know, and now I'm not. And, you know, just trying to, to understand those things that, that sometimes you just go, I don't understand it, but I can be kind to you. Yes, absolutely. And that's what we need to have. Absolutely. And, and it's our work also to resist the messaging that we hear that paints the trans community as 
dangerous or trying to take something that doesn't belong to them or that somehow just your existence is an endangerment to this vast majority. That's just a lie. It's a lie. And so, in fact, of course, the trans community is incredibly vulnerable very tender and they deserve allyship and protection and rights. And so it's exciting that you're up there banging the drum, especially in a state like Kansas, that is thrilling. That's thrilling. Like we expect to see some of this coming out of a more, you know, progressive state, but this to me feels like this is how meaningful change happens. That Stephanie Byers gets elected in Kansas. This is, it's a big deal. I'm really proud of you and I'm grateful to you for the amount of courage that it takes to do what you do. I don't think you'll probably ever even know the impact that your influence will have had on our culture and on our country. It's it's very, very profound and the weight of it is not lost on me at all. So thank you for your incredible diligence and honesty. Thank goodness you hit age 51 and said no more. Because now, of course, with it, you're living your best life right now, your most meaningful life too. And so well done. Keep going. Keep rising up through the ranks. We'd love to, we'd love for you to be governor. Why don't you just set your eyes? <laughs> you've got time. You've got time. You're uh, not in band anymore. You're not running concerts. <laughs> just think about it. Just think about it. <laughs> and thank you for your time today coming into my community and talking so candidly about your story. It's so great to hear and continue to learn from you. So cheering you on from Texas. Well, and thank you. And of course, you know, people can follow me at Byers for Kansas on Twitter or at Byers for Kansas on Facebook. I don't think I have anything on Instagram, but you know, so we'll find you on Twitter. We'll find you on Facebook. Okay. Stephanie, thank you so much. I'm so happy to meet you. If I'm ever in, up in Kansas, I'm going to pop into your office. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Jen. Okay. You guys, I got so enamored with Stephanie's story. I forgot to ask her what was saving her life right now. I just got flustered. I think I got a little starstruck, to be honest with you. Isn't she great? I just drew a lot of inspiration from that conversation and courage from it. Really? Like I borrowed from a little bit of her courage and proud of her. I'm really grateful that we have such good leadership right now in our generation, still fighting for rights and dignity and the inclusion of all of our American citizens protecting our vulnerable communities. I'm, I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged when politics is so discouraging by and large, what we hear and the noise and the fighting and the, the just the always in the silos and the anger and the fear mongering. And so getting to sit down with somebody like Stephanie for an hour, it just feels completely different. Like, oh yeah, right. This is the, this is where governing is good for us. When we have, we're represented well, we have representation, we have advocates and policymakers and just anyway, go follow her, go follow her. We'll have, if you go to jenhatmaker.com under the podcast tab, We'll have this entire episode, including show notes, all the links to Stephanie's socials, minus Instagram. We could try to peer pressure her on that too. Kansas listeners, shoot her an email. 
thank her for being one of your representatives and leading your state so well and with such inclusivity and meaningful change. So good job. Good job, Kansas. Congratulations on having a good one. Okay, you guys, more to come in the transitions series. So whether a transition happens to you or you choose it, there's still so much to learn from the courage that is required as we change, as we evolve, as we move forward. So come back next week, more to come. All right, everybody have a great day. 